Greg Contestable, a.k.a. Ozone. Thanks for coming in. Glad to be here. <laughs> All right, so you're a graffiti artist. I am. But there's another word for graffiti artist that I found out today that's like a aerosol artist. Yeah, there, there's probably a distinction between the two. Okay, what is um, the distinction? If you're a graffiti artist, it's pretty much unsanctioned art. <laughs> And a lot of aerosol artists start that way, if not all of them. An aerosol artist is, I could probably say, more of a muralist or, or a person that does commissions. Or maybe not, but um, they have permission. <laughs> and their aerosol is just what the can is, right? So that's yeah. what's referring to they're using can for everything. Yeah, I mean, that's what I would consider the difference. Depending on each artist, they might still call themselves a graffiti artist. Um, but graffiti implies deviousness. So is that where your background starts? Uh, yeah. Let's uh, hear about it. Okay. I had a mutual friend uh, who's from New York, and he had frequented some of the bars I worked at. And I went to art school, and then being a bartender was a really good job uh, for an artist because you'd only had to work three or four days, and the rest you could use for you know, doing what you wanted, which to me was my art, and as a young person, all kinds of shenanigans. But so his name was David Holly, uh, and uh, he said he was going to do. You know, we had talked about graffiti art, and we both were artists, and we both had an interest in it. And he had some experience because he was from back uh, in New York, and so he was going to do a mural uh, DJ Zero. Uh, which was a local DJ, and he told me when he was going to do it and where. And uh, so I rode my bike up there, and my first day of spraying with cans on a graffiti mural was that day. Um, so he, he did the typefaces or the letter style, and uh, he asked me, hey, do uh, you want to work on it? And I was like, yeah, okay. And so I did the background, and there sort of became our union as uh, my partner. He used to do the letter styles. And I used to do the backgrounds and the cartoon characters to go with the pieces we did. Cool. So when was the first piece? And like, was it in, it was here in Dallas? Yeah, it was uh, in Deep Elm, 1989 on Crowdus and Elm Street. And uh, we did a letter style that said street culture. And I did a character and I did the backgrounds. And a man who was an artist older than us who had actually lived in New York uh, and lived down in Deep Elm at the time, which was, back then it was just warehouses. I think there was two clubs. <laughs> and um, he came down there and took upon himself to paint it out. So he came down and, and rolled it out, and we were pissed. So what does that mean, like just covered it up? Yes. Okay. He um, did that because he lived in New York, and he, he already knew that it, you put something down and then something else appears. And it steamrolls into a bunch of graffiti. And uh, it was just, you know, I don't actually know why he wanted to do that because there wasn't much down there at the time <laughs> uh, at all. But he had, you know, experience with it. And so my next reaction was, I'm going to get permission. So I went to the, found out who the building owner was and got permission. So, you know, this sort of thing with this artist, and I wish I could remember his name because I, I later saw his work and thought he was a really good artist and respected him. And we kind of got a nice rapport after a while. But, you know, when I'd be doing something, you know, he'd call the police. There was a place 
on Elm Street, which is called the it was the Ace Parking Lot. I think it's still the Ace Parking Lot. And uh, you know, as as a, a person that had already been to art school, uh, and I made a decision uh, to paint during the day. So it's not like a kid with a can at night is obvious up to something. <laughs> so I was painting in the uh, Ace parking lot, and he called the police. And the police come rolling up on me, and, uh, you know, I was cool-headed. And they asked me what I was doing. I said, well, I'm painting a mural. Uh, and, uh, you know, they asked me some more questions, and I made it seem like uh, I was being paid for them. <laughs> and, uh, well, they're like, uh, how much you getting? And I was like, well... Never enough. <laughs> and so immediately after that, you know, you know, I was 27, I think, at the time. Uh, the first thing I did when they left was go around the building and ask for permission. <laughs> and so, you know, there, because of this guy, I started just making it a point to get permission. And also, to me, you know, I never wrote my name. I wanted to do a cartoon character. And I'd pick some, the appropriate place to do a character. And I, I wasn't about doing it fast. It was about the quality of the character and a little bit of urban comedy relief. For instance, putting the character in the right place. Like you walk around a corner and there's a character looking over his shoulder and he's taking a pee. Where a guy might be doing that. So Day's parking lot uh, ended up being a place where other artists could come and paint without getting in trouble. And it was a great place at the time for young artists to go paint and get better. And also it provided a place of friendly competition and some beefs, if you will. Um, <clears throat> and it got pretty famous. People would come from other states to come paint there. The new place now is called the Fabrication Yard. It's in West Dallas, and it's a free-for-all. And it's a place you can go paint, but expect your stuff to be painted over within a week, no matter who you are. <laughs> uh, ever been arrested? No, I haven't. In part because, um, you know, I'd get permission. But, you know, if there was a reason for me to get arrested, I think my art would be a worthwhile and the only worthwhile <laughs> thing to be arrested for. So where did... When did you start getting into art? So I get that, you know, 27, you're in Dallas. Like, oh, or where okay. are you from originally? And what, what was kind of the first thing as a kid that you got into that you realized, I want to be an artist and go to art school? So I was born in Inglewood, California. I'm from California. You know, I, was, I had a wonderful childhood because um, I was born in the 60s. And in California, there was a prevalent openness that wasn't probably you know, way of thinking that wasn't probably in other parts of the country. Um, Still to this day. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, my mom, uh, she went to UCLA and first started studied art, uh, but she later became an elementary education teacher. And part of the thinking back then was um, a new way. You don't tell your kids what to do. You ask them questions. Like, well, what do you think about this or what – do you want? And so the kid had to make up their own mind instead of just being told what to do, which later on it became kind of a funny family joke in that my older brother, 
eventually said, Mom, do you know anything? (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I've always been, see things that other, my brothers or my friends or my parents wouldn't see in nature. I don't know why I just would or observe things that other people didn't necessarily see when it was pretty obvious to me and they didn't see it. And that exists to this day. You know, I see things. It could be patterns, you know, you know, from tree leaves on the ground or at night on the wall or whatever it is. Uh, it gets my attention. So as a kid, you know, my mom, you know, she went to art school and I think she'd give us stuff like, you know, when you buy T-shirts in the three-pack, there'd be like card, little cardboard things in between. So she'd give those to me to draw. <laughs> and, um, you know, the first time I remember doing anything that everybody was like, wow, I think I was probably in elementary school. And we were doing a mural uh, in class. And uh, everything was coming out pretty good. And uh, so I, I just probably have natural gift to, to draw or be creative or whatever it is. We each get our own gifts. You have your own gifts. You know, everybody has their thing. And uh, fortunately and probably unfortunately, this is mine. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I would always be able to see things that other people didn't, but I could never recreate it. Like I just never, and maybe I just gave up when I was trying to. Could you feel like you could pretty naturally recreate something? Oftentimes as an artist, you have an image in your mind. And to bring it out the end of your fingertips is quite difficult at times and other times kind of easy. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of editing involved. You get ideas, and then you got to, you know, adjust them, take things out, and then in the end of the day, probably less is more. You know, ideas uh, are pretty complicated, and you know a lot of research is involved, uh, depending on what you're doing, or if you're doing it for somebody else, or you have a concept. Uh, you get all these ideas, and then you kind of got to weed them out, and some work, and some don't, and. By the end of it, you've got a pretty tight, hopefully, composition. So what was your first, like, job as an adult? Hmm. What was my first job? (laughs) Also, if you want these chairs, you can flip them around and sit with your your chest on it. Okay, that might be helpful. Because they're kind of weird. Well, I had different jobs in college. From working at Rudra Bakery... Uh, to cheat rocking, um, texturing walls. <laughs> but that was a fun one. <laughs> it was hot. <laughs> yeah. It could be fun at times because I was working with a real good friend. <laughs> uh, but I learned some things I, I didn't, I never forgot and used later. What are some of the mediums that you've done art on? I pretty much, you know, I've done sculpting. I can work with any kind of paint. Uh, oil paint's my favorite. As a young artist, I started with acrylic and sort of resisted oil paint, but it's completely cheating. It's just so much more lush and easier to work with. And all my misconceptions about oil paint were just not true. 
Uh, when sculpting, what was some of the materials you were sculpting? Mainly just foam. I worked at the, which is now the Perot Museum, and uh, I worked for the Science Place Museum initially, and it became the Museum of Nature and Science, and then it became the Perot Museum. So uh, I worked with foam uh, to sculpt, and what's important with sculpting is what you don't do. Meaning what you leave is what you see. So I, I they had this uh, exhibit called My Incredible Body, and I got to sculpt a gigantic nose. And it was Raphael's nose, uh, a guy I worked with. So <laughs> I did like three clay modeling noses, and uh, I said, come here, uh, let me look at your nose for a while. And so his the most, uh, I don't know, distinct, distinct look to it, just because it was his nose. Uh, so I ended up doing the Raphael nose, and it was a nose that when kids approached, there was a sensor, and it sneezed. And oftentimes, they would stick their heads up the nostrils and um, stick gum or take pictures. So, Just um, as you intended, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, but it was a lot of fun uh, to do that. I had a lot of neat creative projects working for the museum that probably kept me working there. Um, so sculpting different kinds of paint, uh, drawing. Um, one of the things that's sort of new is my girlfriend, Angie Zillman, and my parents um, bought me uh, a laptop uh, in mind to do to do art with. And um, Angie's son, son-in-law, Jared Bigelow, uh, knew of a program called Procreate. And uh, it sort of revolutionized my current situation with figuring things out, colors. It's amazing. And I'm uh, just really thankful that, you know, there's people in your life that think about you and try to help you. And uh, it's sort of been a godsend because I could figure out the colors I want to use if I'm going to paint a mural and go buy those colors. Uh, it helps you work out things before you get on the wall. But at the same time, you got to leave room for spontaneity yeah, to have fun, you know, it's just part of being creative. Is things will occur to you as you're painting. What's the largest piece you've ever done? Uh, let's see, probably the wall on the old Crowdis Bridge in Deep Ellum. Uh, it's about 40, 45 feet tall by about 30 feet wide. It was in the middle of the medium between both lanes. That was a pretty pretty big piece. So you were painting on the on a bridge? Yeah. Um, <laughs> was that scary? <laughs> well, it was um you know, it was one way it was a one way, one way, and the other way, the other way, but it was between them. Um so there was a medium, pretty wide medium in between. And I uh, I've been on plenty of scaffolding and ladders, so it wasn't that big a deal. What do you feel like most graffiti artists? are like 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 what are they trying to express like let's say they're doing it illegally um is it the thrill of doing something illegal is it that they're like is it that their ego and they love seeing their name on buildings all over town like what what kind of drives these people i'd say both of those for some um some people just write their names <laughs> you know and uh they would do it for fame maybe um it's really hard to 
interject what actually motivates another person to the drive to 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 want to write their name um I guess the guy who gets the first recognition was an artist in New York City, and his name was Taki, and he wrote Taki 183, and he went around the city and completely destroyed it. Trains, wherever he was, it was Taki 183. And uh, because of his proliferation, he became famous. And so some of the motivation for some artists is to become famous and put their name around. I think the 183 was the street that he lived on. Good move. Take the cops straight to you. (laughs) Well, I don't think he ever got caught. So Maybe he did. But he sure got famous. (laughs) And it inspired other kids to want to do that too. Where did Ozone come from? Okay, well... um, for the longest time, I, I didn't have a name, and I wrote with my partner, Mosquito, a.k.a. David Holly. And, um, you know, it wasn't about that for me. It was um, about doing characters. Um, I didn't really care much about the name, but my characters were important and distinctive. Um, so um, after a while, people were asking David to, to do my characters, but they didn't realize that it was me and not him. And, uh, you know, some of them were people that were, they were paying jobs. And so I realized I need to come up with a name uh, for myself. And um, there's a couple things that attracted me to ozone. Um, one thing, it's a protector of the world. Ozone covers the world and keeps us safe. Uh, another thing, there was a controversy with a propellant in uh, spray cans that was harming the ozone, and I thought it was kind of ironic. Another thing I liked about it was there's an O, a C, and an O, which to me seemed like a good uh, combination of letters to work with. Um, so um for the longest time, all I wanted to do is characters, but recently I've got into doing my name, and uh, it's it's cool. It's a challenge. Uh, it's neat. It's organic, um, and uh, it's a lot of fun. So um, it's it's been inspiring to start doing letter styles because uh, you know mainly I I worked with characters, and I definitely do have my own character style that can be um, recognized immediately. So. Um, so that's how I got ozone. Um, still like it. <laughs> so how do you spend your day, your time? Like, what does your what does your schedule look like? Um, I get up yeah, pretty early, um, but not too early. And uh, nice and vague. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, get a time. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not an early riser. <laughs> it's nine, okay. something like that. Drink some tea, and then I exercise, and um, then I start drawing or working on art um, in Procreate. Um, sometimes research. Um, Before Procreate, how are you? Old school uh, drawing. Um, you know, when I 
You can draw and then import things in there and then just manipulate them all kinds of ways and warp them and stretch them, flip them. It's amazing. So are these commissioned pieces or is this just you working kind of on your own stuff? I do both. Um, So I worked at the Perot Museum for 26 years uh, in the exhibits department most of that time. Did you meet Ross Perot? Um, Yeah. But I wasn't working at the museum. Oh. <laughs> Where'd you meet him? I um, decided I didn't want to be a 50-year-old bartender at some point, and uh, I started doing some catering. So I was at his son's ranch, and I think I served him dessert. <laughs> and it was funny. It was after uh, he'd run for president, and uh, I was just so used to seeing him in a suit. Well, he was sort of this diminutive man not in a suit and he wasn't say we got to clean the barn out and uh he just seemed like a nice older guy you know he never saw me i was just a guy serving him you know, <laughs> dessert, dessert. <laughs> um, they had a really neat ranch up there um so you know their contribution has been really awesome for the museum that's for sure okay sorry i interrupted you so you were there for, I don't even know, what question was I asking? Uh, oh, your daily routine. and Yeah. And um, so, you know, um, I'll work on whatever um, commissions, usually, and I always want to work on my own stuff, too. Um, right now, currently, I'm working on a, let's see, a, a soccer hooligan painting. And I'm currently working on our, Infinity Crew had a 25th anniversary recently, and we're all working on a mural on Ackerd Street, 1700 Ackerd. Uh, and um, so that's what I was working on this morning, trying to work out some bugs uh, for the background. And uh, that's a giant spray can mural with all the crew, you know, guys came from. So who's Infinity Crew? Oh, gosh. There's so many of us. What is it? What does it even mean? Um, it's a group of aerosol artists. To, you know, identify, you know, help each other, you know, with, um, you know, probably influencing each other, kind of friendly competition. Um, and uh, it's just a collective of people that came together. Um, I think, what was the year we came together? 97 or 98? And where did you meet these guys? Um, okay, so I was a pioneer of Dallas graffiti. I started in 1989 with uh, Mosquito. And um, these were the second wave of kids that came up. And they sort of found me. And uh, at that time, I was already kind of like just sort of doing my own art. And uh, it was really inspiring to have these guys look up to me um, want to meet me um, and collaborate with me. Um, And a lot of these guys are very successful artists right now. Um, Some aren't, but um, (laughs) uh, some are doing quite well. Um, A kid named Victor Quintons, uh, I just knew that he had the drive and focus to to be a 
proper artist, and uh, he goes by Marco Twenty Seven, and uh, he's making a very good living as an artist. And uh, yeah, he was straight. He didn't, you know, probably because his family wasn't involved in you know overdoing it in any sort of recreational way. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm really proud of him. Um, uh, another artist, uh, Tex, uh, he designed uh, jerseys for the Mavericks recently. Uh, I think it was last season. Um, and, uh, yeah. So uh, that was the second wave. And some of the graffiti Infinity Crew has thir- th- third wave artists and a couple in-between artists. And uh, so... Um, you know, they're just uh, guys that are driven, and for whatever reason, you want to paint. Uh, you, we joined a crew, and these people are all friends, you know, mostly. In in their twenties, some of them were kind of bad apples, <laughs> and uh, some of them were doing things that I just didn't like. Uh, and there's like appropriate places to paint, and there's places that I didn't want my name associated with. Uh, so some of them got weeded out. <laughs> so this was 25 years ago this group came together? Mm-hmm. And then recently who was like, let's all do a group uh, together? Tex, he's uh, kind of like the dad, even though he's younger than me. Um, he... um he got this thing together. So there's guys that came from other states, uh, California, Oklahoma. When did you move here? Uh, I moved here in 78. Uh, my family moved here. Um, previously, we lived in North Carolina for about four or five years. You know, so I lived on both coasts and now in the middle. When things go wrong in these artists' lives, is there a typical thing that always goes wrong? <laughs> like, is it... Is it relationships? Is it finances? Like, what what are like the good things you see in in artists, and what is the bad things you see consistently? And I ask this because you've been doing this so long, you've been around so many artists. I figured you might see patterns. You know, it depends on the individual. Um, some illegal graffiti artists they get in trouble, and so some of them move away because of it <laughs> or change their name. Um, you know, and some just, you know, might be bipolar. (laughs) There's a definitely example of that in the infinity crew. And, um, there's different way, you know, he he personally, you know, it's sort of the same thing as any young guy could get in trouble. Um, get, you know, over his head with a girl start to have kids. These things take you out of the, the game. You know, I mean, if you're going to be a responsible dad or anything, then you don't have time to... You need to get a job. and <laughs> <laughs> you, need, you don't need to go to jail or take the chance to go to jail. Uh, but at the same time, some of the same guys uh, made it into their career and have, have made, you know, pretty decent money and they have good reputations as being a aerosol artists and um you know they do prints and toys and different things like that too so who commissions like who's your client 
space? Um, well, that's a, you know, I don't have artist representation, or, or at least um, they're not doing a good job at the moment. <laughs> um, so um, I started uh, just putting more of my work out on Instagram and Facebook. And fortunately for me, I've gotten some really good response. Uh, sort of a word or mouth thing. And and what's kind of the, do it's you have like who a, you know too. Yeah. So do you have, um, I use this example a lot, but like Alec Monopoly, I don't know if you're familiar with him. Um, he's like a, a street artist and his he paints monopoly people like it's all it uh, monopoly man you know it's it's only monopoly pieces essentially oh okay so he's got his um, own thing yeah and so that's like all his stuff and you know like dj cal and people like that are his clients and awesome. he paints rolls royces and just as crazy things <laughs> um yeah that's awesome and but uh that's his brand so like with you is there a certain thing that's a part of your brand that people come to expect when uh, they get a piece from yours probably just uh you know, um, my style, as as far as my characters are, they always usually have one eye. And I have a one-eyed cat. You do? Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about that. Um, as a young artist, um, you know, I love doing characters. I, I was always attracted to characters because of my childhood and watching uh, cartoons. And some of the best cartoons there were, were you can't see them anymore because they're violent or, you know, different other reasons too. Um, so I always loved cartoons. Um, so I wanted to design my own stuff. And, uh, back then you needed books. So I had all these research books, like history of cartoons and things like that. So uh, if I wanted a cartoon character to be doing something in particular I, I would look at a lot of different pictures of to get oh that that arm is in the right place for what i want it to be doing or those feet are the right position and so you take a bunch of different cartoons and sort of make it your own so like generally i want it to be having to do with spray painting um so a friend of mine kip lot had give me a book called paris stencils and it was about stencils in, in Paris, and there was all kinds of examples. And it, it got me thinking, I want to do a stencil. And so um, in one of my cartoon books, there was a character called Flip the Frog from the 20s. And because I didn't want to do Flip the Frog and I wanted to change him a little bit, I thought, what can I do? Um, so I got rid of the two eyes, and I made it one big eye. And it looked great. And... After that, I just sort of went with it. And so even if it's a person, I'll hide one of the eyes behind a cap or something. So usually I just have one eye on all my pieces, and that's how people sort of know it's it's my piece. And usually they're kind of silly <laughs> and uh, non-threatening characters. So... And on these commissioned pieces, they're on canvas or uh, yeah, um, or if it's a you know it could be in a bedroom, um, it's usually canvas though. Um, so would you do you ever paint inside? Because you were saying bedroom. 
Yeah, I've done a lot of different stuff, and um, you know, not just for people. Um, like for Google, um, that's a small company. <laughs> yeah, uh, I went to school with an architect, and uh, they were designing uh, the Austin offices, which led to me doing a mural there. <laughs> cool. And uh, floor doors, um, which uh, it was a great, great job. I mean, that's pretty cool to say you've worked with Google. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Should put that front and center on your website of like clients. <laughs> That, that's that's one of them. So you know, I, I'm you know the the best clients are, are obviously big companies like Pepsi and things like that. Or um, I also did some work for um, in film. Uh, Walker Texas Ranger used to hire me pretty regularly when they were filming. Um, Have you met Chuck Norris? I' not sure. I actually met Chuck. Uh, we were usually there, you know, off times on the set. Or at location, uh, and you know, if there's an episode about gangs, well, graffiti comes to mind. So, <laughs> um, you know, we do graffiti uh, for the sets, um, and I, I must have done five different episodes. Uh, a lot of fun and paid pretty good too. What's it been like to watch social media come into play? You know, as, as before, I'm sure getting clients was all word of mouth and it was like legitimately word of mouth. Yeah. But now you could post a photo and that photo could go viral and you get 15 leads. Uh, it's amazing, you know, and it's, it's not only an artist tool, it's a anybody tool, you know, to, to just get more recognition, um, and and me personally, I'm sort of a, a very humble person, and um, it's hard for me to push myself out in front of people. But um, it's also very essential, for, you know, to eat, <laughs> um, and uh, that's the way you, you need to do it. So, um, you know, I just started posting a lot of imagery and uh, getting a lot of likes. <laughs> And jobs from those likes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, what what are, tell me some of the recent projects that have come up. Like, what is that, you know, do they just DM you and be like, hey, I want a painting of my dog, but in your style? Like, what's what the kind of request um, you get? Yeah, um, um, so, well, here's one that comes to mind. Uh, I play soccer. I'm on a very good team. Uh, Does everybody get Puma necklaces? Uh, no, I'm, I'm a Puma freak. Um, <laughs> I get teased about it. But I, I have coached uh, a Zuri soccer team. Um, we have three different teams, uh, three different age groups, and I've come up from the 40s, uh, was the coach. Um, and it's just, uh, you know, we're probably one of the best teams in the area and sort of notorious. Uh, I don't know many if many of you guys out there uh, remember the Dallas Sidekicks, but their star player was Tattoo, and he's one of my teammates. And uh, the the quality of the players is just amazing. And I'm I'm very fortunate to to be on the team. Um, and uh, I got my athletic ability from my dad. I'm pretty sure uh, he he played American football. He uh, was a high school all all American. 
ended up getting a full scholarship to be a quarterback at Berkeley. He held a touchdown pass record in the whole country for 27 years. How many How many touchdowns? Uh, I don't remember, actually. <laughs> um, some of you guys might remember Pat Hayden, who played for UCLA, and he later played for the Rams and then later became a, an announcer. He, he eventually beat my dad's record. Um, so I, uh, did your dad go to the NFL or unfortunately he got, uh, his career ended in a tackle playing against UCLA. Uh, two guys hit him on both sides of his knee and just destroyed it as a sophomore. Uh, he, um, he was already talking to the Red Sox about being pitcher. Uh, he was, he was, uh, Los Angeles County uh, Athlete of the Year in 1954, I think. And uh, when he was at Berkeley, there was a quarterback named Joe Cap, who was second screen to my dad, and he eventually played professionally for the Vikings for a number of years. So um, there's no doubt my dad could have played in the NFL. So it's just, now he's got two knee replacements. So, um, you know, I'm sort of the uh, equipment manager for the whole club, and we all wear Puma. Yeah. Also, uh, we're called Azuri, which is uh, the Italian nickname for the Italian national team. And it was founded by um, Mongioli, Anthony Mongioli. Um, Mongioli is such a cool last name. Yeah. It's a really good family, too. Um, so... Um, I'm half Italian, um, and uh, so that's the name of the team, Azuri. Um, so yeah, um, besides uh, being a guy that is the aesthetics of the team, I, I'm, I'm kind of a puma nut. <laughs> All right, back to the question because we got distracted okay. of uh, recent projects, like the, the the leads that come in and like what yeah, the requests so what, are. What I was going to say is, I met a guy through um, soccer. Uh, Facebook friend him and he was like can you do a portrait of me playing keeper like he's a goalkeeper and um, you know that's just just one way I, I got a job uh, same things I, I have a, a fellow that wants me to do five portraits of his children uh, coming up um, it, you know I do kids room stuff too <laughs> Um, do you want to do our nursery? I heard you have a <laughs> rabbit in there. And, uh, yes, I do. <laughs> I do want to do your nursery. Sweet. I could do a really cool thing with rabbits. <laughs> um, yeah, it was funny. My uh, my friend's got a company called Apollo, and his his baby is due uh, like two days before mine. So it was oh. essentially the same date. And so they made the, the nursery like space-themed. Okay, that makes and, sense. And... Uh, my wife isn't as, you know, quick as I am to some things. And so she's like, oh, man, I wish Nathan had something that he could, you know, we could use when I run a company called Rabbit. <laughs> and she's like, oh, we can make it Rabbit themed. <laughs> I once did a, a Winnie the Pooh mural for a kid's room. <laughs> um, and they had awesome smooth walls and it turned out great. Yeah, we don't have smooth walls here. Yeah, the walls were incredible. And uh, because of it, the quality of them. The mural it's 
it's amazing. It's on my website. What's your website? Uh, www.urbanesthetic.com. Aesthetic uh, being spelled, drop the A, E-S-T-H-E-T-I-C.com. And your Instagram? Uh, ozone underscore U-E underscore S-K-P. What does S-K-P mean? Style King Posse. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, Mosquito and I's crew name. Um, he came up with it. And, uh, it's just it's kind of funny. I still, out of respect to him, um, unfortunately, he he died of cancer a few years ago. Mm. And uh, Sorry to hear that. I think uh, I don't know if you call yourself a crew if there's only two in it, but you know, I still I still use it. So. Started my own gig called Urban Aesthetic, and uh, I've never invited any other guys to paint with me. <laughs> <laughs> it's a one man crew. <laughs> yeah, and also my website. So, <laughs> what what are you most excited for? You know, let's say the five next five years or so. Like, like what is what is really got you inside. I can tell the way you lit up when you started to use a computer program to like generate ideas. Oh, right. It, like what's another thing that's, you know, during that's five years or like NFTs. Is there anything that's just really exciting to you? Um, just doing bigger projects. Um, right now I'm, um, in, um, talks with the city of Irving and dart to do a mural here in Irving, uh, in the heritage area. Uh, down on O'Connor by the Dart Station, and uh, it's a massive project. And uh, fingers crossed. Yeah, that'd be cool. What's what's it going to be? Um, it's sort of the history of Irving, uh, the beginning, and then you know bits of you know the last you know modern modern Irving. You know, um, you know I. Went to high school in Irving and, um, you know, through this project and through meeting with people in the archives and uh, talking with people at the museum in Irving, uh, I knew there was a street called California Crossing, but I never knew why. And uh, back when Irving was forming, uh, it was actually a bridge that uh, got across a river headed towards California. And there was just a few bridges. And uh, so I was like, oh. Okay, I've been on that street. I didn't really understand why it was called California Crossing, but it was, you know, people heading west went, went across that. And, you know, uh, water will be in the mural. Uh, and, uh, you know, down where the mural will be is uh, Old Irving. And uh, they're trying to, to uh, bring um, attention to the area. Uh, and um, they thought a mural might be a really neat thing to do. So, do you do everything by feel, or do you like measure and tape things off? Like, what's kind of your process? Oh, um, so you know, the process is concepts, drawings. Um, the modern way to save time is to use projectors to project uh, your images up on the walls, and it saves a whole lot of time. Uh, I can do it, you know, without them if I have to, but it just is a really fast placement <laughs> uh, to project them up, and I, that's that's how everybody usually does it. 
these days. And, uh, you know, anybody coming up, I encourage them to, to try to use projectors. It's pretty exacting. And, you know, you can fool around with it, sizing, but it's it's precise and quick. And uh, especially if you think uh, your projector is going to move, you move a little faster to make sure you get the image just right. And do you... Uh are there like a ton of different nozzles and stuff that go oh, on yeah. the spray? There and that's are. how you. <laughs> um, a lot of the new ones, I don't know what the heck they do. <laughs> um, as a matter of fact, um, I saved all my tips from when I was younger. And I'd put them in a bag and I would throw them away. And um, so now I have all these old school New York thin caps and New York fat caps. And so I, I, I reordered some. New York thins, and they're not thin. And I was like, why can't I control these? Because there's more paint coming out. Um, so I, I learned, you know, painting with New York thins, uh, caps that are called Rustos from Rustoleum, I guess. Um, but there, there are things called micro tips you can buy to do very little skinny things. Uh, there's called detail caps. Uh to do small details, and then there's thin caps, fat caps, all kinds of caps. Um, and you just sort of have to find the ones that you're comfortable with. To, and depending on what you're trying to do, you use that certain cap. If you want to blend colors, you use wider caps. Um, there's soft caps. There's, there's caps, caps, caps. <laughs> uh, have you ever wanted to leave Dallas? Um, you know, I always thought I'd end up back in California. Um, but I will say this, um, home is wherever you have good friends. You know, you can live every, anywhere and uh, as long as you have good people around you, it feels like home. Yeah. Uh, I, I visited California cause I still have family there. Uh, I just always thought I'd, I'd live back there, but it seems kind of expensive. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of not going uphill. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Fortunately, they're kind of getting back to business in California. But, you know. Yeah, six months later than everyone else. Um, my parents moved there when they were kids. And um, they always say that, that they moved there at the, at the best time. There wasn't a huge amount of people. And it's a beautiful state. Yeah. It really is. Do you feel like Dallas isn't very creative as a city? Um, that's hard to say. There's definitely some pretty creative people here. Where do they hang out? I don't know. Because <laughs> I've had a hard time meeting them except through this. Yeah, well, it's, <laughs> it's been hard to meet anybody. You know, you're pretty new here. Um, yeah, where do they hang out? When I was younger, we all friends and uh kind of played off each other um one of the reasons what i, I liked about sp spraying walls it was sort of like an instant gallery you know your work was just out there for everybody to see immediately and so i don't even really think that many people go to art galleries um so you know aerosol art is part of the latest art movement and uh, it's just, 
it's worldwide and a phenomenon. Yeah, it's interesting. My my good friend Blake Jamison uh, was on a month ago, so, and he does all his stuff with like cans, but you know it's only canvas. Okay, I've never once heard the term aerosol art. Either. You know, it's like yeah. you just never even t- What's just he call it. Uh, I don't, you know, it's just like it's just his, his art. art. Yeah. Right. right. Um, have you played with? Uh, my favorite thing is when paintings look like glass by putting that, like the potsy on it that you like uh, put a torch to, to get the bubbles out of. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. And do, do stuff like in that. My building used to use that a lot. Um, it's stuff like you put on tables in restaurants. Yeah. Um, I haven't personally used it, but um, you know, it really does wonders to some, some artists <laughs> work because yeah. um, it gives it depth and uh, cleans it up somehow visually um it's a process and you got to get pretty good at it so you don't get any bubbles um but that that might be something i might be interested in doing in the future have you seen the way uh have you seen these crazy cakes in south korea where they like (laughs) (laughs) this is really off topic but they like build a rose inside of the cake like a 3d rose Uh uh-huh have you seen this? Do you no, want to talk I about? haven't. I'm going to pull up. I um, have been to Korea, though, to play soccer. And what a <laughs> neat place. Uh, it's a very creative, you know, the buildings in, in Seoul blew my mind uh, when I first saw them. Um, you know, downtown Dallas has buildings now that light up and do different things. Uh, Ten years ago in Seoul, Korea, in the new modern business area, each building was ultra modern and doing nut stuff. One of the buildings was, I think, in the shopping district. It was a series of big discs that went around the building, and there was like a computer generated light show going on where the purple went into blue, into green, into yellow, and the whole spectrum. And uh, as we were driving by, imagine uh, a long shadow at the end of the day stretching off walked around the side of the building. And I was just like, oh, my God, <laughs> did you see that? Oh, wow, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and you can watch videos on YouTube of how it's done called Jelly wow, Cakes. Those are neat. Yeah. Well, if they could put flowers in there, they could put anything maybe. <laughs> yeah, they were really a neat society in Korea. How were you there for? I was there to play soccer. How soccer long were you there? Oh, um, about a week and a half. Okay. Yeah, it was an amazing place. Um, you know, I, I came back thinking, well, I thought the United States was kind of advanced, but it's not. <laughs> and then if you've ever been to Europe, you come back and go, gosh, we live out on the range <laughs> compared to London or, or, you know, somewhere in Europe. I hate London. I loved it. <laughs> yeah, it's too cold, rainy. And pricey. I, I get the pricey part. The times I've traveled there with, with my friends to see soccer games. And, uh, you know, at the coldest time of the year, you can see three games in a week. Because after Christmas, uh, they make up games and have more games. And uh, I don't know if it's my European blood, but I, I kind of like the cold. And I definitely like c- cold weather clothing. 
And if you've been through a summer in Texas, then you kind of appreciate <laughs> um, That's why I'm surprised you live here. <laughs> yeah, uh, the coldness. Um, yeah, um, my older brother moved back to California right after college. Uh, but uh, when we moved here, he stayed back in North Carolina so he could have a senior year at college. And then he went to... Uh, A&M, and then as soon as he graduated, he, he went back to, to L.A., and he, he still lives there. What does he do? Uh, he's a salesman. Okay. So you were the only person that took the art path? Yeah. Uh, my little brother says, I can't even draw a stick figure. How the hell do you do that? <laughs> yeah. My mom is a calligraphy artist and, and oh, yeah. painter and everything else, and... Uh, nobody, you know, I have two brothers and sister and nobody can draw and it just, it like breaks her heart. <laughs> well, you know, like I said, everybody has their own gifts and what they're good at and contribute to the, you know, themselves with the family and the world. What inspires you the most? What does inspire me the most? You know, um, inspiration comes from a lot of different places. When I started, uh, you know, the second wave of kids that came up they inspired me because of their enthusiasm. And so it made me want to paint, you know, more than I was streetwise. Um, inspiration could come from, say, like my next door neighbor, Ross Brown, who's an artist, and just seeing him uh, work on his stuff uh, would be like, well, I got to start doing more on my stuff. Um, and inspiration, you know, could come from just encouragement. Um, inspiration, it's almost like something to look forward to, like uh, a gift that you haven't opened. Uh, as, as far as, you know, creativity, because uh, I know it's 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 in there, um, and it's... Uh, a puzzle and a challenge to, to do art and, you know, not only could be applied to, you know, it could be applied to anybody's life. Um, looking forward to, uh, you know, a project, you know, seeing it to its completion. Um, and, um, you know, you get a sense of accomplishment uh, just like anybody would, you know, from you, your kid's room, um, you know, anybody's personal business, you know, there, there's triumphs you, you, you get. Uh, and, uh, you know, I wouldn't say anything's that easy. So when you do complete something or see something's going to work, then uh, it gives you a sense of personal pride. Uh, and, and that's always something to look forward to. Um, and, you know, it gives you a purpose. We all, we all have a purpose, and we all have to maintain our lives and um, keep becoming. Do you also paint with a brush, or do you only do... Oh, yeah. Um, I, I brushes. I, I can paint left-handed, okay. <laughs> and I'm right-handed. Uh, you know, and, uh, you know, if I'm spray-painting something for days on days, you, you get some fatigue. So I started using my left hand to do some of the grunt work. <laughs> um, but, yeah, with brushes, too. Um it's uh they're 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 different um but you still can be concise you know um 
preferably the bigger the better for spray painting to get detail. Uh, and of course, brushwork is uh, just depending on the size of the brush, you can basically do just about anything. I'm not calling you old, but are you the oldest guy on your soccer team? No. And I am. I'm old. <laughs> I'm amazed, man. Soccer, like, I get winded real easy. It's definitely kept me in shape. Um, <laughs> um, and so, you know, um, going back to accomplishments, um, you know, and camaraderie, uh, soccer has been really important to my life in, in those respects. Um, I've fortunately been on a team that has been very successful. Um and when I was a coach, I, I won nine out of 12 championships. <laughs> wow. And um, I think there were six in a row, or seven in a row we won. Have you ever thought about pursuing that as a career? Um, you know, um, I probably could be a soccer coach. Um, but when I look out at um, my players, a lot of them already were. Um, coach... Um, you know, Tattoo uh, was the coach of the sidekicks. Nick Stavro was the coach of the uh, Fort Worth for Caros. They're professional coaches, a lot of these guys. Uh, some of them just coached their kids' teams. A lot of them played in college or professionally overseas or, you know, actually here. Um, but one, one thing as far as soccer is uh, I was born in the wrong country <laughs> yeah. at the wrong time. <laughs> And because of my dad's problem with his knees, they were very protective, and they thought they didn't want me to go through what my dad went through. Uh, I've been very fortunate. Uh, I haven't had that too many horrible injuries. Um, but you do get knocks a lot, and a lot of pulled muscles. and uh, I expect to get hurt. I really don't complain about it because, you know, it's uh, the game. Sports are a joy. And, uh, you know, some people can't run. Um, maybe it's part of endorphins or, or, or whatever, but in my personal life, I'm a very chill person. But um, when I'm playing soccer, I think my girlfriend, what she nicknamed me, she nicknamed me some kind of crazy name. <laughs> Because I'm the opposite. <laughs> I can't even imagine because you're so chill right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm pretty aggressive. <laughs> who Who are the teams y'all play? How often do you play? Um, like, uh, do you play other teams in Dallas, or do people travel? Yeah, um, uh, we play at the Money uh, Graham Soccer um, uh, Complex. Um, my team did play in the North Texas Soccer Association for a number of years, and uh, the Money Ground Park has better fields by far. You could actually fall down and not get hurt because uh, you're getting scraped up. Um, but there's like uh, Club Ticks, the Barachos, um, North Dallas 40, um, Tampico. Um, and these teams are quite good and you know if you're if you're playing soccer at our age still then uh you're in pretty good shape and uh, pretty durable 
actually. Where did you meet your girlfriend? So she kept coming to my studio when I was 27. And she was like 18. And uh, she's kind of bothering me. Uh, she'd just show up. We became friends, and uh, she, you know she um she was a lot younger than me, and I was dating older girls, and um, so um after a while, you know, we both moved on, and she had her own life, and um, at some point, she became later in life friends with me on Facebook, so I'd posted that I was doing a live uh, aerosol painting um at the dma and she showed up with her kids and um that's how we kind of reconnected uh at the dma when i was uh you know spray painting uh um, and uh so you know it's like how you doing um and, you know we started talking a little bit and uh, you know now we've been together for five or six years <laughs> Do you still do live painting stuff? Um, yeah. Um, um, one of the things uh, I did for the museum was I taught art class. And um, um, it was really neat to teach kids how to do graffiti. And coming up uh, July, I think the 12th to the 19th, I'm going to be teaching some other kids at the Oak Cliff Cultural Center, how to spray paint. Um, and I've done that at the um, the Irving Arts Center, too. Um, I think I've been asked a few different places to paint live while people watched. And it's always interesting, you know. It, it's it's kind of like you got to talk to people, but then you have to focus. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen where people will paint, like, ten paintings at a live event, and then they'll all match up together to become one? Um, I've seen stuff like that and people paint upside down. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Can you do that? Oh no, I've never tried. (laughs) I think it's a gimmick. (laughs) I mean, it's pretty cool though. (laughs) Yeah. It's like magic. (laughs) They're painting with their elbow. Did you see, um, I shared one on my Instagram a couple days ago. It was a guy, uh, he painted like a horse upside down and he did it with a stick that was on fire. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so he's doing it like lightning fast. Right. That's amazing how fast <laughs> these guys paint. I'm a very slow painter. Uh, actually, my neighbor, Ross Brown, um, you know, my graffiti name is Ozone. He started calling me Slow Zone. <laughs> and now it's kind of a joke. <laughs> That's amazing. Have you ever uh, painted any vehicles? Yeah. Yeah. VW uh, bus. Turned out really great. Does it stay on the vehicle or does it come off easy? Oh, it's spray paint, so it stays as long as it can. Um, ultimately, um, if you if you clear coat it, it'd be better. Um, but um, it's fun because uh, it travels around. People see it, and I remember painting that feed, that bus, and all these kids saw it immediately that were in other crews. And I think that's part of the appeal to, to kids painting trains is that it travels. I've gotten, um, when I'm painted, somebody will come up to me and they'll be like, you're ozone? You're ozone. What? You're ozone? 
and like flipped out on me. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, kind of reminded me of a story of one of my neighbors. um, And I live in an artist building. I've I've lived there since I was 27. What? And um, yeah, uh, it's a a cool building in East Dallas. It's probably on the last street in Deep Ellum. And, uh, you know, I was supposed to be able to buy the building. And I was promised to buy the building. And then my landlord got really greedy. No. And, no, and I'm so heartbroken because I've treated the building like it was mine because I've been the superintendent for at least 20 years to take care of the building. And then she said, I'll sell it to you at a you know, decent market price. And she tried to sell it a couple of years ago and uh, forgot all about that. <laughs> and Pardon? Oh no, it's close to all vapes. That's where my girlfriend goes for her vapes. Uh, it's a uh, on Haskell and East Side, which is east of there. It's sort of in that industrial area, and the the building itself has a really kind of cool history. Um, in 1906, there was a, a Model T showroom in it. Oh, that's that, so cool! That was my first space, and I didn't know it at the time, but the, it didn't have a curb out front on the street. It had the kind of where you could roll up. And uh, I guess it, the way it opened up, it had those old-fashioned doors, and then they'd pull the cars in there. Uh, it, it was a bakery up uh, downstairs and a hotel upstairs. And so um, since I've been there so long, I kind of moved up in my, my spaces, how, my, how big they were. <laughs> uh, one of the coolest spaces is, is on the dock where they'd load the bake, uh, baked goods onto East Side Street, and um, you come in, and then it's all sunken, the rest of it. And it was sort of an L shape by the way it was split up. It had a little elevator to bring the bread up to the top level to go out the door, and there's like a neat sliding door, which now has been replaced with glass bricks. Uh, that was a really neat space. Um, and, you know, it was on a whole t- old hotel, and like, Later on in its history, it was a honky-tonk where somebody got stabbed. <laughs> and that ghost did mess with me. I remember what I was going to ask. Okay, let's hear it. So now that you have a computer and you're creating digital stuff, yeah, do you find yourself doing uh, more graphic art that can be used for, like, you know, so I own an agency that builds a bunch of websites. Like, like if we were like, hey, we want, um, we want a custom piece made for this website, Oh, do you yeah. do you find yourself doing graphic art now? I do do logos. Okay. And actually, when I went to uh, school, I went to North Texas State. Um, in order to get my parents to send me to art school, I I, I was in the graphic design uh, department, and uh, I made the honors class, which was called um, Fine Line Graphics, where the students actually could compete to get jobs printed and stuff. But ultimately, I probably should have just been painting and drawing. But that was a way that made sense to my parents. Yeah. Oh, he could make a living. <laughs> oh, he possibly, could be a marketer, yeah. <laughs> he could possibly make a living doing this. And, um, you know, um, the classes that I really liked the best were painting and drawing classes. Um, and so, you know, who wants to send their kid to, a, you know, to be a painter? <laughs> Um, no, none of them that I could think of. And, you know, I was kind of a, before I went to school, I was a little preppy. 
And uh, when I came back from art school uh, to visit, uh, my hair had changed colors. <laughs> <laughs> I had hand-painted checkers on my uh, tennis shoes with cut-off fatigues and <laughs> raised some eyebrows um, with my parents. And, you know, and uh, it was kind of rough for a while, but um, I think the first time my parents actually thought, okay, is when I had a painting at the DMA. Um, they were like, okay. DMA uh, is? Dallas Museum of Art. Got it. Um, and it was for a, a, a video festival uh, or paintings pertaining to film. and uh, So after that, they kind of got it. Uh, I think I was you know, in my 20s still. Um, so that sort of uh, legitimized you know, what I was doing. I think they probably still think I'm kind of nuts, but uh, they're very supportive now. Do you do collaborations with other artists? Oh, yeah, um, definitely. I'm working on that uh, mural with the Infinity Crew, which is a giant collaboration. And uh, we do themes. The theme of this one is it has to do with theater. I would love to introduce you to my friend Blake, who's in New York City, uh, and for y'all to do a piece together. Um, I am down to collaborate. And I'm also, I should be flying there sometime soon. You can come with. We could just go there for a weekend maybe. I would, I've been wanting to go to back and uh, visit some of my friends there. Yeah, because it's uh, like when I flew him here, it was $90 round trip. <laughs> yeah, I think that's changing though. <laughs> yeah, and, but uh, this was only a month ago, so. Yeah, yeah, um. I went out to uh, Vegas to, to play in a soccer tournament, and it was so cheap <laughs> recently. <laughs> On Frontier? Uh, I think I took two discs. I think it was Frontier. Yeah. <laughs> they have such there, cheap. and then on the way back, it was American. Okay, yeah, because Frontier has some crazy cheap to Denver and to Las Vegas. Yeah, and, you know, I just went for soccer, but, you know, some people really liked gambling. It's <laughs> um, just not my thing. I'm a big poker player. But uh, I'm not addicted to it. So, like, in the moment, I love it, but I'm not somebody... I could go six months without playing, and I wouldn't feel sad or anything. Okay, well, I understand how people, like, become addicted to, like, oh, my God, I won $3,000. <laughs> um, but at the same time, they usually lose seven. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm not... Yeah, I understand it, but I'm not... My thing is, if I win or lose, that's just how it is and i move fun. on yeah, yeah it's like fun um like i'm playing for the uh let's say i win uh a hundred bucks and i or let's say i won a thousand bucks i'm like all right i won a thousand i don't think like i should go try to win too <laughs> like i don't think like right. an addict like right. i just That's think good. like like oh i won is, i'm gonna stop yeah <laughs> That's what and, I would do. And if I lose, I'm like, all right, well, at least I had fun doing it. You know, like, exactly. so I just look at it. Right. That's the thing of like when people gamble by themselves, I'm like, yeah, uh, I've got to do this so I can hang out with my friends. Like to me, gambling is just a way to hang out with my friends. Um, kind of like drinking by yourself. <laughs> that raises an eyebrow. Yeah. The theme of the mural is in- infinite cinemas. So uh, it has to do with like, it's a 3D and 3D glasses mural. Oh. So there's elements um, that you only of, see with 3D glasses yeah, of 3D, and um, uh, seems to 
three D glasses, you know, are on most of the characters, uh, and um, there's like some three D uh, letter styles. Um, Saying Infinite Crew, and um, so um, then there's popcorn, and uh, so I did a B boy. Uh, it's a B, it's a B, but a man flying through. <laughs> He's coming out of porthole, and then behind him, there's like a drive-in theater, and uh, the sun's sort of gone down, and the stars are fading up into the piece. And uh, I'm having fun with it. It's been pretty hot, but uh, you know um, that's a collaboration. Uh, see, I've, I've collaborated with you know other types of artists, not just graffiti artists. Uh, uh, Jim Rizzi, he's, he's a pretty up-and-coming Dallas artist that does really neat graphic work. Uh, pretty prolific guy, I totally respect. Do you ever host an events or attend events with all your friends that are in the art scene? Um, well, um, yes, recently um, we had our reunion, um, which was exactly that. Uh, guys came from around the country, and it was sort of uh, the night before we all painted together. Um, we had a big barbecue. Um, which is so nice to see some of these guys I hadn't seen in 20 years. Uh, you know, specifically one of them got in some trouble being a graffiti artist and had to move out of town, change his name, and hadn't been back since practically. Just uh, being young and dumb, I guess, getting caught. I don't know if I should say it serves him right or, or what. <laughs> 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 Collaboration is really important. Are all these people still artists, or did some of them branch into different careers? Um, you know, some of them have different jobs, um, and then they still do art. Um, you know, for instance, one of them, uh, he works for a bank doing the graphics, but he still does his own stuff, you know. But uh, sometimes having kids and being married slows you down. <laughs> That, uh, are you just staring at right at me when you say that? <laughs> no, no, I was thinking about this particular fella. Uh, you know, you, you, you could be young, but you're not super human. <laughs> yeah, there's, I, I always tell people, like, my biggest advantage in, in business is that I started my first business at 12. And oh, so amazing. I'm now, I'm now many years in. Right, you got experience. And so when I need to slow down, like I, I worked, I remember working, you know, 18 to 20 hour days for my first probably five years of my career. Um, and you know, and I consider my career from 18 to 23, you know, like, you know, starting at 18, I remember just really like not dating, not doing anything, just focus purely on my career. Yeah. And my wife will tell you in in her opinion, I probably work a ton now, but in my opinion, I work way less than I did, but other interests now. I got my experience in early. early. Yeah. Right. And, and I've always tried to, to be about learning and growing and, um, I love to read and, and the past, I would say almost past almost two years. I've really stopped reading near as much as I used to. Uh, I still read, um, you know, uh, I don't know, 30, 30 books a year. Um, That's amazing. but I, I like to be at a hundred books a year. I like to do two a week. And so it's it's been cool to be like, okay, problem, solution. You know, like I'm going to start reading every night and like just, just getting into the habit of learning new things and doing new things and, and stretching myself. And, 
And what allowed me to do that was my move to Dallas. Oh yeah. Because what happened was is I knew everybody in Nashville. So I would have 10 to 15 meetings a day in Nashville. Okay. So you have the time to do. Yeah. It and so I was, I was still crushing books cause I was able to do audio books in between like, oh, right. My girlfriend yeah, does that. Yeah. But, uh, as far as like time of self-development, learning something new, like deciding, all right, I don't know how to play soccer. I'm going to go learn. Right. Like, no, cause I'm in meetings all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and so now that I'm here, I don't really know anybody and I'm working on getting to know people. I do find myself with these pockets of time that I'm able to go, Oh, I'm going to go do this. Or yeah. I'm going to go try this. That's, or really this. That's really good. Well, I'm impressed you started thinking like that when you're only 12. <laughs> I think I was trying to kick with my left foot when I was 12. <laughs> yeah, I uh I was a I was a strange strange kid. I was my dad told told the story at a at our wedding party that like uh the teachers were really concerned about me in kindergarten because I didn't like to play with other kids cuz I didn't like to get dirty. Uh, and he knew right then, like, all right, you know, he's gonna, he's gonna be different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, in a good way. Yeah. And so I was just a, a strange kid of what I was into and interested in. And, and I watched my family kind of always, uh, struggle financially. Um, I don't know if struggle is the word, uh, struggle was the word, but I don't want to, my dad worked very, very hard and my parents took yeah took great care of me and I always I had a food it. on the table. So I, I don't mean it. in that way, but same with mine. so I looked at myself and thought, I don't want this for myself. So the second I could find a way to make a dollar on my own, I was about it. Okay, that that makes sense um, um, completely. Um, you know, I've seen that in other sort of elements, like the kid I was referencing, Mark of 27, him. You know, he lived close to where I live, but sort of like on the wrong side of the tracks. And his dad was a mechanic and owned his own shop. And, uh, you know started accepting drugs for payment and then totally screwed up his life and had to be deported back to Mexico. His brother was in a gang and the house was shot at. And um, So he sort of, because he was in that environment, completely was focused in getting out of it. And the way he, he could do that was through his creativity. And, uh, you know, his work's all about... Um, uh, diversity and um, uh, different shades of brown people and uh, respect to their, you know, communities. And uh, his his work's really awesome. And uh, he does murals that will just blow you away. Um, so, you know, I understand that, you know, like some people see their parents drinking and smoking, but they're the straight kids that come out of that situation because they're like, ah. And, uh, you know, your parents' struggles, and, you know, my parents started out very humble beginnings, and we all stayed in the same room and things like that. To, you know, my dad doing pretty darn well. Um, I just came from their house and doing a project for them before I came over here. And, uh, you know, my dad. Oh, so they're in town now? Yeah, they, uh, you know, my dad got his lifelong dream to have a house on a golf course. and. <laughs> they have a really cool modern house on the Las Colinas Country Club. Oh, nice! Yeah, it's, a, it's a, it looks like California house. It's all open in the back, and I want to play golf with your dad. Do you play? Uh, you know, it was kind of boring for me. I um, had an opportunity to to golf when I was younger. 
I like tennis a little bit better. And uh, I think uh, that got boring too because you just kind of knock it back and forth. Uh, the reason why I like soccer is because it's creative and there's no real that many set plays and it's all creative thinking. So um, golf's tough and kind of expensive. Yeah. You know? I think it's the time consumption that's uh, – I think it's funny when people – you hear this all the time. I heard this all the time growing up, like, business is done on the golf course. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's you hear that? a cliche. I've never signed a deal on the golf oh, course. You know, I'm pretty sure that was true, though. <laughs> you know, um, uh, to, to some respect, and, like, what was it? In I messed 50s? up a deal because a guy invited me to play, and I was like, I'll play nine. Uh-huh. And I'm a, I'm a pretty good golfer. Uh-huh. And he was just like, he was, I don't know, taken back by that or didn't like that I was trying to play nine. He wanted me to finish the 18 and it's because I was beating him and he wanted to see this. I guess he wanted to see it to the end. He thought, and I was like, look, man, this is nothing. It's anything other than I'm busy and I don't have four and a half hours. (laughs) Like I found two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh, it does take some time. Yeah. So, you know, it's, what's cool about golf is that like, it's really a pretty place to be on a manicured golf course with a bunch of trees and stuff and water elements uh i think what's really cool is you can play it your entire life oh that's true so i I love the idea i love the idea i'm not saying this is going to happen but i could be playing golf with my son when he's five years old yeah or when he's 50 and i'm in my 70s yeah recently my pop had to quit he's 85 and has health issues and so he lives on the golf course, but can't but, play it. You know, he's all about watching it. <laughs> I think he still goes up and, and putts. Uh, you know, he he's been pretty good. I think the only thing that bums him out is he never got a hole in one. I've never had one either. Uh, yeah, well, I think my brother's gotten one, and my uh, mom's dad got one, and right in front of my dad. <laughs> my dad's a good golfer, you know. So. <laughs> I watched a guy uh, like shank it into a tree that then bounced onto the green and went in. Oh, wow. See? <laughs> Every sport involves some form of luck. Yeah. What's that in soccer? What's what's luck in soccer? Well, different things get happen. Or what's happen. a good example of Okay, luck? you kick the ball towards the goal. It hits the pole, bounces back, hits the keeper in the head and goes in. That happened recently in the European Championships. So it happened at that high of a level. Oh, yeah. It, you know, and, and some days you, you, you have the luck, and sometimes you don't. And it's just the way it goes. That's sports. Uh, and it can be very unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes the best team doesn't always win because of things like that. You know, the ball could have just as easily bounced to, you know, another player but it, it bounced to say your team in the right position or bounced to the other team in the right position. And, uh, maybe the guy had enough poise to take advantage. Does the soccer ball matter? Some of them. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, you got to play with a decent ball. What's the, what's the different, like the, just the feel of it or can, do, can, do you the spin quality. soccer balls? Like the tell quality. me. Some of them, uh, in recent times have little pox in them, sort of like a golf ball, you know, for uh, keeping them flying faster or putting a spin on them. Um, 
uh, I decided that I wasn't going to buy another $139 ball because they kept getting stolen. <laughs> How does it get stolen? Oh, you know, in a match, the ball goes out of bounds, and then somehow it's not found. <laughs> Tell you're real annoyed about it. <laughs> well, most of the time you get them back, but sometimes people just aren't. And there was a ball that I uh, played uh, lost in um, at this certain facility, um, and a friend of mine um, jogs on the jogging trail, and he kept he kept finding it, and he kick it around a little bit, and by then it was old and not worth really taking. <laughs> With him, and uh, he said for three or four years it would appear like a little further down, a little further down, and be a little bit more messed up. And uh, he told me that story, and I was like, oh, it's <laughs> interesting. <laughs> and uh, then he said he hadn't seen it in a while, so it's probably just yeah, my, got in the water. And my favorite is, is uh, you know, so I have a company called Rabbit, we have these kiosks that get unplugged a lot. And all the time, people will send me a photo, like a selfie, like, hey, look what I, I found one of your kiosks, and it'll be unplugged. I'm like, yeah, well, it'd be cool if you could plug that in for me. <laughs> yeah, that's a cool idea. Your wife talked about it a little bit. You know, people, you know, I was just telling her that my girlfriend's kids keep taking my chargers <laughs> all the time. But basically, they live on their phones. You know? Yeah, we're trying to do no tech. Uh, which is funny because I'm a tech entrepreneur, but, uh, what do you mean no, no for, for our kid? Uh, oh, so like, okay. I think that's a pretty good idea. Yeah. No. So no iPad, no, no smartphone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, it's crazy. They can bring their phones to school Yeah, because you know, they're not really paying attention. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's the reason we want a private tutor, uh, just because we, we think that we think all studies show that uh, you know two hours of focused work is equivalent to a whole day at a school. So I love the idea yeah, that that, I that that I can give my kid two hours of focused work, not me, but some you know somebody who has a passion for teaching. Um, I think a lot of things are going to people working with themselves. So what I like to see is that me and five friends find the best teacher in wherever we live and say, "Hey, we want to privately hire you." We each pay you twenty grand a year, so you'll make a hundred grand a year as a teacher, and you'll get your summer off. That would be awesome for them. Um, and then, <laughs> yeah, and you know, so one, they're incentivized financially, right? Um, cool and they have idea. they have full resources, and then they have a small, only five kids that they have to they Boy, can just fine tune. Yeah, yeah, and, that's and so a really neat concept. And then at the end of that, it's that uh, my son's name is, is Zedeka, and so Zedeka is able to then have the rest of the day to read, to paint, to learn, to ride a bike, to do whatever. Uh, and I think that's, um, you know, responsible, my, my opinion of like a responsible upbringing. Uh, I, I think and is. then by not having technology, he's able to, again, immerse himself in the world. And when he gets to a responsible age, he can then use technology to enhance that. I think that's um, pretty good thinking. So that's my. Wait a minute. Seneca. That's an interesting name. Yeah, so it's Hebrew for righteousness. Oh, that's awesome. So I just think it's a cool name. Yeah, it kind of sounds like it's from the future. <laughs> yeah, so Zedekah, the Hebrew version is spelled T-Z-E-D-A-K-A-H. So we drop the T and the H, so it's Z-E-D-A-K-A. I wonder what his nickname's going to turn out to be. 
So my <laughs> wife's name, which I don't publicly talk about, so I won't say on air, uh, it rhymes with Zeddy. <laughs> okay. Um, and so uh, I think Zeddy or Zed is, think, will be what it yeah, I think is. Zeddy will be it when he's little. Um, Zeddy when he's a teenager. <laughs> I mean Zed. But uh, ZDR is the initials, which I think sound, is, is really cool. I got a neon sign coming in to put above the crib that says oh, ZDR. That's really cool. So fun fact. Yeah, yeah. I like that's cool. Very cool. But uh okay, let's talk about uh what does your girlfriend do? Um, she is does bookkeeping. And uh she um recently started her own business and uh is doing really well. And I'm super proud of her. Her name's Angie Zillman and um I recently did her a pretty nice logo. <laughs> and um so, um, yeah, she's just, you know, this during this pandemic uh, started just blowing up, um, you know, with her clients and uh, word of mouth things. And uh, she's driven. Uh, she's just, you know, obviously good with numbers and she's got a really good personality. Do you think that it's like a great match that, you know, you kind of have this you on the creative side or her more on the, I guess, non-creative side that that... It's kind of what makes a really good relationship. Yeah. Um, you know, um, usually a good relationship, there's opposites. Yeah. Um, so even though I'm the creative one, uh, I'm the stable one. <laughs> and I keep, keep her grounded uh, with consistency and uh, just sort of providing a good, stable home. And she sort of revolves around the, the the pillar, so to speak. And um, uh, she's just got uh, all kinds of personality and tons of friends. And uh, yeah, when she was younger, she worked uh, in the music industry and uh, basically traveled. Uh, she's traveled the whole world, but definitely. Uh, I traveled with a lot of ba- bands back in the day um, and uh, knows a lot of people, really does. A lot of famous people. Does that help you in your work? Uh, no, it's just, uh, <laughs> you know, um, just support and uh, acceptance and, um, you know. Um, I mean, but does her connections help you? Um. Still need to get some jobs out of some of her. <laughs> yeah. um, they'll they'll come, you know, sooner or later. So. If uh, if you've ever wanted to do a, a web design project, uh, we could develop your design. So you could just all you would is design it, and then we would turn it into code. Oh, that sounds interesting. Um, I love designing stuff. You know, I'm doing a logo right now for somebody. And, uh, you know, it's uh, for somebody who um, helps people with money, um, but um, she wants it to, to be organic, and she's also an avid uh, horticulturist, so it's going to have those elements in it, too, with sort of a idea bling to it. Like, you know, trees, there's something called a money tree. So it's still in. Uh, have you have? Do you have one of those yet? <laughs> I'd like to have one. 
not that uh, my life's ever really been about uh, pursuit of money. And I think at a pretty young age, I thought I just wanted to live my life and not have to get on this treadmill where it's just being young. I saw, you know, once you get on it, you're on it. Especially if you take on uh, commitments and responsibilities, and uh, often the American way is to uh, swing over your head, so to speak. And uh, you know, I think it's probably kept me a little bit happier and youthful. Yeah, but it also allows you to like fly to Europe to watch a soccer game. Uh, and there's the balance. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, my parents say there's power in money, and it allows you to do things that. Um, that are fun, uh, you know. I'm pretty sure they've been to Hawaii over 20 times. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been of you. I haven't. Not, not me. Uh, but yeah, they have. <laughs> <laughs> so you gotta like, uh, you gotta email like every hotel in Hawaii and be like, "Hey, I would love to paint a mural here." Oh, right. For free, you know, right, just right. just give me two weeks free stay here, all inclusive. It's gonna take a month for slow zone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my work is so perfect that uh, my average uh, rotates six months. Well, you know, so. <laughs> I, I have a personal belief in that. Um, it doesn't matter what you're doing; you need to do it right. Yeah, and uh, the best of your abilities, and and definitely with my artwork. Um, it annoys my girlfriend that I have to have things. Just so. Yeah, it's it's the the mitts of uh, you know what's the thing of cheap, fast, uh, really good. You can have two, <laughs> or like so it's like slow. I'll take fast and really good. <laughs> yeah, so sorry, it's slow. It's slow, fast, and cheap. There we go. Slow, That's fast, right. and cheap is the three, and right. you can have two. I'm going to edit out the part where I screwed that up, (laughs) but it's, you know, and that is, uh, it's finding that balance. Um, cause we find it all the time is like every project we do is custom Mm -hmm. and, but yet we want to meet people's very close deadlines. And so we, we kind of sometimes push ourselves to the edge. Right. Um, and so there is that, that myths of, uh, I want my work to glorify God. And by that, I mean, I want to be so good that the creator of heaven and earth, like, takes pleasure in it. Right. So I, I think about that as I start a project, but at the same time, a client has a deadline to meet and it's disrespectful for me not to meet it. Yeah, I get it. And so there's it's, that, that fine. It's, it's almost like a, if you say that you're going to be there at a certain time, <laughs> you better be there and hopefully five minutes early. Yeah. Right. Uh, and I think that's something that your generation gets very, very well and that my generation doesn't. Uh, is like commitment of word and being there on time and doing what you say you're going to do. And respect. There seems to be a lack of respect. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I remember old, older people saying stuff like, you know, they could be interpreted in what you just said about us, but you were saying about the current generation back then. Uh, And so, um, you know, I think my grandfather was from the generation that, um, what do they call them, the ones that won World War II? The great the great generation, I think, is just what it's called. Yeah, and, um, you know, it wasn't polite to speak about yourself to them. You know, they didn't brag about their accomplishments. Th- that generation, 
Um, or really talk about anything. And, um, you know, they would teach my, my mom to say, like, well, you better wear clean underwear in case you get in an accident. <laughs> so, you know, I if you had to go to the hospital, you'd be clean, <laughs> you know. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, just, it's true, too. You know, it's uh, the, what's the uh, I don't know why uh, the degradation of uh, common courtesy seems to be uh, pretty evident, and uh, yeah, respect is uh, you know always something that you have to earn, and uh, it's it's not um, it's not a given. And it's it's also in the eyes of the beholder, um, you know. So I wear I wear a suit for for kind of two reasons. One, I want everybody to know that, hey, I, I didn't just roll out of bed and show up. Like, I actually put in effort. I got dressed. I put on a suit. <laughs> you know, like, I did I did the steps. Like, it's a sign of respect. Right. And then the other side of it is everybody else my age at Words and Tech does not wear suits. And so I'm just looking for a way to differentiate myself. Right. Well, you're a professional young man. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> In podcast, we're done. <laughs> you got the jump, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think there it's uh, re- respect requires humbling yourself, and I think that social media has made my entire generation, especially Gen Z, very unhumble in kind of every way, shape, or form, and I think that's why respect has kind of disappeared. Yeah, it's kind of gotten bracketory. Um, when uh, hip-hop first came out, it was really funny. And it told stories. And it wasn't about what I owned and who I did and, and you know, what I'm wearing on my wrist or something like that. It was about picking boogers or something. <laughs> uh, and uh, it's changed. Uh, what, what, what is that? It's not bragging if you could actually do it. Is that Shoeless Joe Jackson that said that? I don't know. I think so. Um, but at the same time, you know, uh, your example is, is probably just like your word. You know, the question is, is will it loop around? I don't know. I don't know. Um, you know, it's a little frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> Cause um, this society, you know, I think social media has made people self-obsessed. Yeah, and then yeah. I think the self obsession has led to them thinking they're the greatest, and then thinking they're the greatest has led to them not respecting others. Yeah, I can see your point. You know, we have all all of us are on the center of our, our universe, and we have to maintain ourselves first, uh, obviously. Um, and you are who you are. You know, the elements of humility and um, mediocrity, they're somewhere in there of balance. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think... It's good to work with other people, you know, and understand other people and respect them. And one of the things my dad, who was influenced from that generation, was that you show respect and not disrespect uh, until you're proven different. Yeah. Interesting. All right. How do you go from being the first street artist here in Dallas to 
now helping like kids and running <laughs> and running like art school programs. Um, like, could you have done that 20 years ago or did it, is that like just a natural progression? You know, um, with me, um, I, I've always sort of been somebody to give advice when asked um, about whatever. Uh, and I've always been a, a natural um, person who, who wants to help. And not only just with uh, different artists or young artists. Um, it just seems essential that you put back in, you know, what you know and to help others, you know, become better artists or uh, better people. Um, you know, when those kids uh, showed up at my house wanting to know about graffiti, I was there telling them what I knew and, uh, helping them out immediately, um, and you know that led to um, you know different like the Irving Art Center hiring me to show kids how to spray paint at one of their events, and my recent one with the Dallas Cultural Arts Center in Oak Cliff teaching kids this summer how to paint, and also what it comes with is the responsibility. And like I've spoken at several area. Um, libraries about graffiti art complete with um, police officers present that uh, I didn't know but I was always saying the right things and I've, I've never actually done anything to uh, warrant me being arrested for, for <laughs> yeah being a, a, an aerosol or graffiti artist um, and part of that is just uh, respecting the, the right places to do it and knowing what the wrong places are that might hurt people's homes or businesses. And uh, whenever I teach kids, uh, you know, I always tell them that uh, and tell them where they can actually go paint and they won't get hassled, you know, and to always try to wear a mask to protect their brains. Were you wearing a mask from day one? No, I wasn't. Um, I had to learn the hard way. And actually, it's an interesting story with my now girlfriend. Uh, when I was younger, she, like I said, she'd show up to my studio. This one night she showed up, and I was painting an awning for, um, uh, it was a place called Another Roadside Attraction. And what it was was an old trailer that was in Deep Elm that was uh, like a diner. And I was painting the awning, and I couldn't find the color of spray paint I wanted, but... Um, I found at Texas Paint these little aerosol canisters that you can make any color into uh, aerosol so I could spray it. And, um, boy, I was um, painting in my studio, and I only had one door, and there wasn't very good ventilation. But by the time she showed up, I, uh, I was feeling really weird. And I said, you need to get out of there. And I walked to the curb outside, and I sat down. And it seemed like my feet were way, 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 way downhill. Way downhill. And then I had this sensation that one of my arms had gotten humongous and the other one was tiny. You were hallucinating? And then it morphed to the other side. Meanwhile, everything was way, 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 way downhill where my feet were. And I said... You've, you've got to get out of here. We've got to leave. Uh, let's go to the state bar where I, I worked and get something to eat. 
I felt weird. I could hardly eat. I had to found myself walking around that block just trying to get air. And uh, so I had a loft, and underneath the loft there was an air conditioning unit. And, um, you know, she'd went home, and I went in there, and it was closed off, and fresh air was coming into that. So I woke up to some screaming, and it was me that was screaming. And I felt really hot. Well, the next thing I knowed, know, I was out in the parking lot, and it started raining on me. I thought I needed to get out of my space because of these hallucinations I was having. And um, her parents woke her up and took her to the hospital because of her wheezing. So what was whatever was in this propellant was really harmful. And after that, I always wore a mask. You know, even if I'm outside, it was terrifying. Um, you know, what happened and the way I felt, it was it was just nuts, I That's guess. That's so crazy. Yeah, it was. It way, way, <laughs> way, way downhill were my feet. Uh, so, um, you know, it, it, it's really important to wear so a So you were ready. You had an N95 ready to go when the pandemic hit. <laughs> yeah, I've, I have several masks. <laughs> One that will cover my whole face, you know, and this regular charcoal mask, too. So one of my requirements for the, um, you know, teaching these kids was that they have to buy every kid a mask. And they're not really that cheap. Um, but I'm like, every kid needs a mask. Yeah. So. Do you see any, like, side effects from not wearing one all these years later? Um, well, I, I normally would wear one. Um, you know, I did notice if I was painting day after day that um, – especially if it was inside that, you know, um, it'll get in through your eyes, just little bits and maybe through your skin, uh, you know, getting into paint on you. And then after a few days, I'd be like, oh, gosh, I don't feel that good. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I don't like that sort of a high, so to speak, <laughs> um, you know. Very irresponsible to huff paint, <laughs> but I know it's a thing for some kids. Um, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. So weird. Yeah, and there's also people that just uh, they huff like uh, like aerosol, just the can, like there's yeah. dry air, right? There's something in there. <laughs> Desperate people want to try. Don't do that. Crazy. Respect yourself and your body because it's the only one you get. So, yeah, it's it's funny. It's they don't realize that they're disrespecting themselves. Yeah, um, I think it's human nature to want to, you know, alter your feeling, you know, to some degree. Um, you know, some people do it with food. You know, some people drink. Um, fortunately for me, I've never been an addictive type personality. Um, thank God. Um, because, you know, and I, I've never been able to drink at all, really. I tried. It's just, I, I don't drink either. I, it's just no good. You know, I, I don't drink. I tried in high school and, uh, it just wasn't any fun or worth it. So, um, you know, 
you know, I just see, I just, I can see why people want to have a drink or whatever, but um, I find that I'm just fine without anything, just being straight. You know, there's things to look forward to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's things that taste good. Things are semi-predictable. Um, you know, part of being a, enjoying your life is, is, is eating and, you know, um, you know, even, even that can become a, something that, um, people take a little bit too far cause it gives them a good feeling. Um, but, um, you know, you're always looking forward to what you're going to eat. You might be sitting here interviewing me and thinking about some compound chicken later, you know, I don't <laughs> so know. So I'm making, we have a couple coming over that I'm making dinner for. And, uh, I was just thinking about as you were talking, like, uh, I hope I can cut those vegetables thin enough. Yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> uh, it's like something to look forward to. And um, actually, since the pandemic, um, I started cooking all the time and sort of took over from Angie. And um, she's very thankful. You know, uh, I think uh, when I had a, a regular job that, you know, she did most of the cooking. But now um, I'm pretty much uh, and always coming up with new stuff. And, um, you know, I was a bartender when I was younger, but I didn't drink. Um, but I had the feel of how to mix a drink, so it was right. You know, I, I don't think I've ever really. Apparently, I made really good martinis, but I didn't drink very many of them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's the same thing with cooking. It's a kind of a creative process and um, uh, a puzzle. It's always nice to uh, try something new and be successful at at it. You're like, oh wow. Yeah. We got to make that again. What are some of your favorite things to make? Um, let's see. Um, you know, speaking of Chick-fil-A, there, uh, one of my neighbors said, I made some Chick-fil-A uh, nuggets. And so um, you know, I don't really, I'm not the type to fry a lot of things, but um, let's just use this one as an example of something I tried. And online you can look up how to do it. And one of the main ingredients is pickle juice. And uh, I had a friend that said he worked at uh, Chick-fil-A and they would, you know, put put the chicken in pickle juice. And so, you know, that, that sure enough, it's in the, on the recipe. And, um, you know, I never really fried anything until the pandemic. And so I tried it. So, you know, um, they're awesome. <laughs> and so um, I use them in a salad and... Uh, you know, it's uh, romaine lettuce, spinach, uh, craisins, um, strawberries, uh, croutons, and Lighthouse makes an incredible blue cheese dressing with uh, these Chick-fil-A nuggets. <laughs> and it just turns out great because it's so, semi-healthy. At the same time, there's a little element of, you know, something fried, which, you know, French fries always taste good, right? For sure. Well, it depends. On Are you into go. spices? Uh, well, I found that the older I got, the more they started affecting me. And I used to be able to eat a lot of spicy food, but now I kind of shy away from it. Uh, so, you know, if I order uh, Vietnamese food, I don't want it too spicy anymore. <laughs> or if it's Indian food, I'm, I'm definitely not getting it that spicy. Um <laughs> I do enjoy the little cheek sweats you get when you have the spicy food, but uh, uh, you'll see the older you get, it's just not So I mean like just spices in general though. Oh, yes. Um, 
you know, that's what makes meals is how you season it, no matter what it is. Um, gotten pretty good at the guacamole. So I have some black satin spices, which is a company here in Dallas. Uh-huh. Uh, no fillers, like really high end uh, spices. I'll just give you some. Oh, good, good. Try those out. Appreciate that. Um, there's a little place close to my house. It's called Invasion, and uh, they have this dish with Brussels sprouts, uh, and it's kind of spicy, and uh, I th- they probably uh, do them in the oven, so they're a little charred. Uh, so I started trying to figure that out at home, and I have a chef friend, and I was like, how do you do Brussels sprouts? And then he told me how to cook them and, you know, what to do and how to, you know, mix them and then just put a little bit of, um, what is that stuff called? To put it with the oil and vinegar, but it's that certain kind of vinegar. I can't think of the name. But then I was like, well, how did this other people make it spicy? So I started messing around with cayenne pepper and paprika (laughs) and, uh, yeah, they're starting to turn out pretty good. Yeah, yeah, it's it's. I'm amazed that sometimes you throw a spice in there and you can't taste it at all. Yeah, but sometimes you throw in the tiniest amount and it's just in every single bite. That's um, true. And then how you can boil certain things and boil the flavor in there. Uh, so I was trying to make. Um, I wasn't. My wife was trying to make uh, some like uh, orange chicken that had like orange slices in it. Okay. And uh, orange shrimp, sorry. And when we bit into the shrimp, it tasted like I was biting into an orange. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, It was awful because it was just... Too much? Yeah, it was literally, there was no shrimp flavor. It was just like biting into an orange. What do shrimp actually taste like? (laughs) I don't know. They have a taste that's good. They have any taste. That's good. Maybe that's why. But yeah, it it ended up just tasting like I just bit into an orange. And I thought, you know, so it's interesting how the different ways you can cook things, the flavors could transfer and... Put a little spice in there; it might have made a difference. Yeah, there's just a science behind cooking that's that's very interesting. But you're right; it's all like art that there's a feel to it. Right, uh, you got another proportion. I had a chef on, and he was saying that he can he be sitting right next to you know a, a, he could be a sous chef, and then then calling out you know making the exact same dish, and they come out completely different. Uh, yeah, especially yeah. when it comes to sauces, he's like sauces is all about like the rate of speed and the zat temperature and when you're taking it off the heat and when you're putting it back on. and Interesting. Um, so he's like, it takes years and years and years just to master putting together sauces. I um, I started using cumin in uh, like a, um, dishes for, um, you know, Spanish dishes, and then I overdid it one day. Uh, you know, I thought, oh, this this is great. I'll put a little bit more in here. <laughs> <laughs> the enchiladas didn't turn out very good. <laughs> so I was like, yo, well, you kind of got to learn the proportions. Yeah, you know? I was trying to uh, do some honey chicken. And I was like, oh, I'll add some uh, brown sugar in here. Or not so much sugar, uh, some cinnamon in here. Mm-hmm. And it just ruined it because the oh, way it yeah. the way it baked. <laughs> yeah, for some reason, I was just... ruined some stuff. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, a little bit of cinnamon will be great. It just... Killed the dish. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. One time I was in New York City and we wanted to eat some Mexican food and we we're like, why did they put cinnamon in this? This doesn't even make sense. <laughs> and it didn't. Yeah, it's like cinnamon has this 
be- because of cinnamon rolls, you think that you can just cover food in it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's actually quite good. Uh, it helps you lose weight. And so you just like you, you have. I always had this whole view of cinnamon until I'd cook with it, and I realized it's really tiny portions. I don't know how it works with cinnamon rolls, right? But in all other foods, you have to use the tiniest amount of it, right? I love cinnamon. Ozone or Greg, <laughs> whatever you prefer. Uh, Thanks for coming on. Oh, you're very welcome. Enjoyed it. Hope you guys got something out of it.